Hi there, Paula Eben here with a heart full of love for you and a heart's desire to encourage you to endure this short life with joy and hope by the grace of God for the glory of God. If you haven't already listened to episode one, let me encourage you to do that. You'll learn who makes up the cloud of witnesses and more importantly, who they're witnessing about, Jesus. Now to episode two, to live is Christ, to die is gain. On the 1st of November, a coat was issued to each prisoner. Betsy's and mine were both of Russian make, probably once trimmed with fur. Threads showed where something had been torn from the collar and cuffs. Call-ups for the Siemens factory had ceased, and we speculated that it had been hit in one of the bombing raids that came within earshot almost nightly now. Betsy and I were put to work leveling some rough ground just inside the camp wall. This, too, was back-breaking labor. Sometimes, as I bent to lift a load, my heart cramped strangely. At night, spasms of pain gripped my legs. But the biggest problem was Betsy's strength. One morning, after a hard night's rain, we arrived to find the ground sodden and heavy. Betsy had never been able to lift much. Today, her shovelfuls were microscopic, and she stumbled frequently as she walked to the low ground where we dumped the loads. Schneller! A guard screamed at her. Can't you go faster? Why must they scream? I wondered as I sank my shovel into the black muck. Why couldn't they speak like ordinary human beings? I straightened slowly, the sweat drying on my back. I was remembering where we had first heard this maniac sound, the behe, in Tante John's room. A voice coming from the shell-shaped speaker, a scream lingering in the air, even after Betsy had leaped to shut it off. Loafer! Lazy swine! The guard snatched Betsy's shovel from her hands and ran from group to group of the digging crew, exhibiting the handful of dirt that was all Betsy had been able to lift. Look what Madame Baroness is carrying. Surely she will overexert herself. The other guards and even some of the prisoners laughed. Encouraged, the guard threw herself into a parody of Betsy's faltering walk. A male guard was with our detail today, and in the presence of a man, the women guards were always animated. As the laughter grew, I felt a murderous anger rise. The guard was young and well-fed. Was it Betsy's fault that she was old and starving? But to my astonishment, Betsy too was laughing. That's me, all right, she admitted. But you'd better let me totter along with my little spoonful, or I'll have to stop altogether. The guard's plump cheeks went crimson. I'll decide who's to stop. And snatching the leather crop from her belt, she slashed Betsy across the cheek and neck. Without knowing I was doing it, I had seized my shovel and rushed at her. Betsy stepped in front of me before anyone had seen. Sister, she pleaded, dragging my arm to my side. Sister, keep working. She tugged the shovel from my hand and dug it into the mud. Contemptuously, the guard tossed Betsy's shovel toward us. I picked it up, still in a daze. A red stain appeared on Betsy's collar. A welt began to swell on her neck. 
Betsy saw where I was looking and laid a bird-thin hand over the whip mark. Don't look at it, sister. Look at Jesus only. Look at Jesus only. I just can't get over the heart behind that phrase. Betsy didn't want her sister to get fixated on the wound she just received. She knew that only hurt and anger could come from that misplaced focus. And yet, isn't that what we do? If you're like me when I get a fresh wound from someone, it's all I can think about. I replay the hurt over and over again. I tell someone safe about my wound. When the wound heals over and I have a scar, I still think about it and still talk about it when the time and context feel right. What does this do? It stokes the flames of bitterness in my heart. But that's not how it should be for a believer. There's only one scar we should meditate on, and it's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 2 through 5. For he, that is Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Now pay close attention to verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The only scars that we should meditate on are those that our precious Savior received on the cross as he was crucified to suffer the wrath of God in our place. As the song says, five bleeding wounds he bore. His hands, his feet, and his side were all pierced. Why was that? Was he guilty of something? No. But we were. He was pierced to bring us peace with God and to heal our sin-sick hearts. This was what Betsy wanted her enraged sister to meditate on. So who was Betsy? Betsy was born in Holland to an incredibly godly father who was so gentle, courteous, optimistic, approachable, and hospitable that he was called Harlem's Grand Old Man, Harlem being their hometown. He was a country-renowned watch repairman who often enjoyed his job so much that he would forget to charge his customers. Children adored him. He treated everyone the same no matter what their station in life or social status. He insisted his children learn German and English. When he was young, he had to stop school early to work in the watch shop, but taught himself history, theology, and literature in five languages. All of those things greatly impacted Betsy, but what influenced her, her brother, and her two sisters the most was that he read scripture every morning at 8.30 to anyone in the house. Betsy's mama, who was not strong physically, was known for her impact on the poor, sick, and neglected. Even after enduring a brain hemorrhage and being limited verbally to only being able to speak three words, Mama still found a way to send cards to people she wanted to encourage. Betsy's sister, Corey, may be a name you are familiar with in the Ten Boom family. 
In fact, her name was recommended to me by eight different people. So I checked out the book, The Hiding Place, and learned that Corrie ten Boom became well-known first for her speaking engagements in Holland, other European countries, the United States, and for her most hungry audiences in Germany. All in all, Corey visited 61 countries with the message, Jesus can turn loss into glory. Hers was also the powerful message of forgiveness that comes through the strength that only God can give and the hopeful message that God is good and that his sovereign plan is the only one we should follow. Why was her message of forgiveness so poignant? Well, let's backtrack for a little bit. Corey and her family lived during the time of the German occupation in Holland. World War II. Because the Ten Booms loved God and His Word, they were very familiar with the truth that the Israelites, the Jews, were the chosen people of God. The Ten Booms were, I'm sure, very familiar with the Abrahamic covenant found in the book of Genesis that states very clearly, God will bless those who bless the Israelites, and him who dishonors the Israelites, God will curse. Because of this, Corey and Betsy's family took very seriously the opportunity to work in the underground web of helping and rescuing Jews from the brutality of the Nazis. They were incredibly savvy at what needed to happen on a day-to-day basis and continued their rescue activities for several years. But eventually they were ratted out and taken to Harlem's jail and then to Schaffeningen Prison. They were all separated into different prison cells. Father died only ten days in. Corey was placed into solitary confinement. Then after months in prison, Corey and Betsy were sent to two different concentration camps, Vught first and then Ravensbrück. They were forced to live in places that were infested with lice and fleas, forced to stand for hours at attention in the brutal winter months, forced to listen to people screaming in agony while being beaten in the punishment barracks, forced to strip in front of men, starved, and denied basic medical treatment even when Betsy was coughing up blood. Due to the inhumanely harsh circumstances, sweet Betsy eventually died at Ravensbrook. But before she died, she continued to plead with Corey to start a home so that people could heal from all of this pain. She especially felt for the Nazis, because the evil that they had committed revealed how desperately they needed to know the love of Christ. Years after Corey had been released, Corey remembered a time when an SS officer who had humiliated both her and Betsy at Ravensbrook, approached her after one of her speeches. He was so grateful that she shared that his sins could be washed away. He extended his hand to thank her, but she did not want to shake his hand, let alone forgive him. But by the grace of God, she did anyway. She went on to say that she discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. She went on to say that when God tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Is there anyone that you need to forgive? God's love for that person is always the fuel on tap for you to do just that. Besides becoming a world-renowned speaker, Corey, with the help of a wealthy woman, also established a house called the Blumendahl. Down to every detail, this house fit what Betsy had envisioned, even though she had never seen the house or met its owner. This was the place for the victims of war to heal, and heal they did. It took time, but it happened. 
Another dream that Betsy had was for a concentration camp to be turned into a place of healing. In 1946, Darmstadt became just that. It served as a place of renewal until 1960. To close, I want to make a few observations and then leave you with quotes from Corey's family, the ones who inspired Corey the most. My first observation is this. Nothing came out of Betsy and Corey in those prison cells and concentration camps that had not been constantly poured into them as children, teens, and adults. Their father constantly read scripture, prayed, and demonstrated to them how to hope in the sovereign hand of a good God. As a result, Betsy and Corey modeled these same things in their darkest hours. They led Bible studies in prisons and concentration camps. They prayed for people and with people in those same places and trusted in the sovereign hand of a good God. The question then is this, what am I pouring into my children or those in my sphere of influence? What behavior am I modeling? My second observation is this, Betsy was always excited at the opportunity to share the love of Christ with others. When she and Corey were reassigned to different and always worse living quarters, Betsy rejoiced because they were going to be with a new batch of women who they would get to share the gospel with. She even felt this way when she was sent to the concentration camp hospital for coughing up blood. Wow, do I love the gospel and people this much? My final observation is this. Corey could have lived the rest of her life in justified anger and bitterness because of all the atrocities she lived through, but she didn't. She used her pain as a platform for the message of forgiveness. Am I paralyzed by my past hurts? If so, the devil has me right where he wants me. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, 13-14, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's strain forward for the cause of Christ, precious listener. Now let's let the ten booms bless us one more time. Here is a collection of moments that gripped my heart. I hope they do the same to you. After listening to Corey share a frightening dream, Betsy said, If God has shown us bad times ahead, it's enough for me that He knows about them. That's why He sometimes shows us things, to tell us that this too is in His hands. After cutting her hand on shrapnel that was lying on her pillow, Corey grew frightened about the what-ifs of war. Betsy comforted her by saying that there are no what-ifs in God's world and no places that are safer than other places. The center of His will is our only safety. Oh, Corey, let us pray that we may always know it. After the ten booms had been captured and taken to the jail in Harlem, they gathered together to listen to Father do what He had done every night of their lives, read Scripture. Except this time He didn't have a Bible with Him because of the raid. He quoted from memory, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in Thy word. Hold Thou me up, and I shall be safe. Betsy's first words relate to Corey after months of being separated at Schaffeningen. God is good. Betsy's encouragement for Corey when she despaired about the possibility of them being at Vucht for a long time with guards who hated them so much. Perhaps a long, long time, 
perhaps many years, but what better way could there be to spend our lives? These young women, that girl back at the bunkers, Corey, if people can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. We must find the way, you and I, no matter how long it takes. After being forced to walk naked past the guards, Betsy remembered the humiliation that Christ had endured as he hung naked on the cross. She said, Oh, Corey, and I never thanked him. When Betsy and Corey moved into the flea-infested barracks at Ravensbrook, Betsy told Corey that she knew the Lord had prepared them for this very thing and asked Corey to help her remember what their Bible reading was that morning. Corey reminded her that it was the passage in 1 Thessalonians that says to give thanks in all circumstances. As it turns out, their thanks was completely warranted because it was due to the fleas that the guards refused to enter the barracks and that they were able to hold daily Bible studies completely uninterrupted. Oh, to have complete and utter faith in the good hand of a sovereign God like that, to turn to Him for everything, to have a heart of forgiveness that only sees others as Christ does. Thank you, Ten Booms, for pointing us to Jesus and for running your race for the glory of God. On a side note, the only reason Corey was released from Ravensbrook was because of a clerical error. One week later, all of the women her age were taken to the gas chamber. Clerical error? Yes. Orchestrated by a good God? Also yes. Corey wrote another book called Life Lessons from the Hiding Place. I can only imagine that it is nothing but a blessing. Feel free to read it and The Hiding Place and share what inspired you. I hope to be with you again in two weeks. In the meantime, look to Jesus. He is your hiding place. Thank you.